Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Bethzatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once, the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our coming Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. If you look around the world these days, everything appears to be broken. I mean, just watch the news and you will see little else but broken laws, broken treaties, broken international relations, broken communities, broken promises, broken sports seasons. Certainly this past year has revealed more than ever our broken political system and our broken health care System and our broken economic system, not to mention our broken racial relations that continue to tear our country apart. And this pandemic has, has created so many broken businesses, broken families, broken plans, and a staggering number of broken lives. Everywhere you look, there's just more brokenness. Of course, in many ways, that's just a part of the human condition. We are finite, fragile creatures. And sooner or later, you're going to discover that something in your life is broken, whether it be a broken relationship or a broken body or a broken heart, or a broken dream. Now, whatever this brokenness is in your life, we all tend to have our own mythologies about what it'll take to fix it. If only we could get the right person elected. Then we can get our country back on track and become great again. 
If only we could fix the tax code, then our economy would thrive. If only we could find the right pastor, then our church would grow. If only we could have another baby, then I would feel complete. If only I could lose a few pounds, then maybe someone would like me. Maybe then I would even begin to like myself. If only I could get a new job, then I would be happy. If only I had more money in the bank, then I would feel secure. If only I could fill in the blank, then maybe my parents would be proud of me. These myths are really our way of coping with our disappointment and our pain. A glimmer of hope that we cling to for survival, and that means they tend to be very resilient. In fact, we often become quite devoted to these myths, holding tightly to them even in the face of conflicting evidence. And aren't Black Friday and Cyber Monday proof of that? I mean, certainly most of us by now have learned that you cannot buy happiness. And yet our worn-out Visa cards demonstrate that that myth is still alive and well in America. Well, in the Jerusalem of Jesus' day, there was a persistent local myth about a certain pool that had healing powers. Some of our ancient manuscripts actually record this legend, that an angel of the Lord would sometimes come down and stir up the waters, and the first person who would get into the pool after the waters had been stirred would be cured. And so there was always lots of people with all kinds of illnesses and diseases and handicaps gathering around that pool on the slight chance that it might be they who get into the water first and be cured. And it is there beside this pool that Jesus finds this sick man lying on his mat. Now, the text tells us that this man had been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. And who knows how long he'd been lying there beside this pool, clinging to this legend. But knowing, knowing how long the man had been there, Jesus He goes right up to the man and he he asks him, do you want to be made well? Isn't that odd? The man's been sick for 38 years, lying beside this pool, waiting for a miracle, and Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed? I mean, isn't that obvious? Of course the man wants to be made well. Isn't that the whole reason that he is there holding out hope beyond hope that one day he might be cured and have a normal life? Maybe. But I'm not so sure. I think it's interesting that the text tells us the man has been sick for 38 years, but he doesn't tell us His name, he is simply the sick man. It's as if his ailment had had taken over his identity. 
And perhaps he just spent so much of his life dealing with this illness, devoted to a plan for healing that hadn't worked out for him, that he wouldn't even know who he would be without it anymore. Perhaps he'd become so attached to his illness that he was afraid to let it go. Remember, we always prefer the misery we know to the mystery we do not. And so just because somebody is miserable doesn't mean they want you to take their misery away. And, and maybe, maybe this guy had been getting some good mileage out of it. I mean, after all, it certainly allowed him to beg for alms and make a living off of others' charity. And pity can go a long way, especially if it's the only kind of attention you think you can get. And it's certainly convenient to always have something to blame for your failures. And so your, your hurt, your, your brokenness, eventually, well, it can become your boon companion. The truth is, most of us have some hurt in our lives that we have become friends with and that we are reluctant to let go of. Maybe yours was caused by the doctor who mistreated you or the, the disease that crippled you. Maybe it was caused by the spouse who abandoned you or the friend who betrayed you or the employer who fired you or the parent who criticized you. Maybe it was caused by the, the, the government that failed you or the church that let you down, or the hope that disappointed you, or the loved one who died on you. And as you care for these wounds, it can even begin to, to take over your identity. Eventually, you become simply the wounded one, or worse, the victim. And there are a few identities that are more dangerous to your soul than that of the victim. There are also few identities that we cherish quite so much as being the victim. After all, if we are the victim, then we think that all of our words and actions are now justified, regardless of how much hurt they cause to anyone else. Because if we have been wronged, we think... We now have a carte blanche to say or do whatever we want, and we like that kind of power. And so we tend to resist having our victimhood taken away. I think that's why when Jesus asks the man the question, he doesn't say, of course I want to be made well. What do you think I'm doing here? Instead, he gives Jesus an excuse. It almost sounds like a pity party. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm making my way, someone else always gets in ahead of me. Woe is me, I'm, I'm just a victim here. Now, to be fair, this man had been sick for a long time. And physical ailments were particularly difficult in those days. And he had probably developed what we now call learned helplessness. 
And I'm sure that when Jesus saw this man, he immediately understood all that he had endured in his life and his heart went out to him. But Jesus also understood the power that our brokenness has to define us and control us and seduce us into making it our friend. And unless this man was truly willing to let go of his ailment physically, mentally, and emotionally, he would never truly be healed, regardless of what Jesus did for him. So as Jesus cures this man's illness, he also gives him a command. Stand up, take your mat, and walk. Now that mat was really a symbol of this man's illness, a place where he had lain every day for so many years. And Jesus tells him to take it away. That means that he can never come back to that pool and and settle in once again to his comfortable misery. He can no longer define himself by his illness and make a living off of others' pity. Now he must take responsibility for his own life and give up his identity as a victim. And that can be a scary thing to do, especially if you've been nurturing that hurt for so long. Now be very sure, Jesus' question is never as simple as it might seem. So you better be sure before you answer. You also better be clear about who it is that is asking the question. And perhaps... Because this man had been so devoted to his illness, he did not realize who it was that was speaking to him, the divine healer himself. It's actually one of the greatest dangers of our brokenness. It it can so easily blind us to the presence of God in our lives. We become so focused on our hurt and our plans to fix it that we do not see that Jesus is there with us in the midst of our brokenness asking us if we want to be made well. Now to be sure... I don't think this means that Jesus will always heal all of our physical ailments. Sometimes he may, but we're never promised that. And the truth is, is that all of our bodies, eventually, they're going to wear out. Again, that's just a part of the human condition, at least until the resurrection. But what Jesus will do, if we let him, is heal our wounded souls that have been so damaged by our sin and by the hurt and pain that we have allowed 
to shape our identity. But first, you have to recognize that Jesus is there beside you, calling you to put your trust in him and then stand up, take your mat, and walk into a future filled with hope, leaving your old comfortable misery behind once and for all. You see, the only way for us to truly get through our suffering is to look for the presence of God in the midst of it. And that's that's what the incarnation was all about. In Jesus Christ, God came down to be with us in our brokenness. That's what Emmanuel means, remember, God is with us. And if God is truly with you in Jesus Christ, then that means your life is no longer defined by your hurt. It means that your cancer does not define you. Your divorce does not define you. Your abortion does not define you. Your fearfulness does not define you. Your failures do not define you. Your grief does not define you. Your guilt does not define you. Your depression does not define you. Your inadequacy does not define you. Your brokenness does not define you. Rather, your life is defined by the one who was born to die so that you might live. By virtue of your baptisms, your identity is now found in Jesus Christ alone, the Savior who is with you in your brokenness. And that means that you do not have to hold on to your hurt anymore to find meaning and comfort in your life. Believe me, Jesus is a far better friend than your hurt could ever be. But be very sure, there is always a consequence to accepting the gift that Jesus offers. For when you receive the healing that Jesus brings, you can no longer go back to your comfortable misery. No, you've got to take him by the hand and walk with him into the new life that he came to give you so that you can join him in his mission to bring healing to this broken and hurting world. But are you ready to let go of your hurt and your plans to fix it? Jesus is just dying to heal you. And he's standing there beside you, holding out his hand, asking the question, do you really want to be made well?
Well, do you? Amen.